0: Welcome. We're exceptionally glad to see you here this morning at Grace Church. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the teaching elder. I'm the teaching elder here, one of the elders. And it's my privilege to get up and, and teach here uh, often at Grace Church. I want to tell you, about a, tell you about a friend of mine named Mike Hansen. He wrote a reflection recently that, that's really struck with me. And Mike, is a, he's a really unique individual. He's, when you meet him, he's very unassuming. He's a humble guy. He's, n- he's not pretentious at all. He's very unassuming. And you wouldn't know that this guy is a graduate of West Point, who's a combat aviation veteran, who graduated from an Ivy League school with a master's degree, has worked in some of the largest companies in the world just by meeting him. But the thing is, Mike's adventures didn't start when he entered West Point. They, they started back when he was a kid, and this is what he wrote recently uh, about that. He said, I was raised a third generation commercial salmon fisherman. Grandfather, father, and great uncle all owned and were captains of fishing boats. I learned at an early age how to lace and mend holes in the net, drive skiff, splice, change hydraulic lines, purse the net, and much more. At 15, I worked in the partial role early in the season, and we had been on consecutive fish openings on the ocean. The weather had been downright nasty. Winds were somewhere between 20-25 knots, gusting to 35, swells ranging from 12 to 15 feet. I remember loading the net and watching the wind screaming fiercely as it peeled the water across the top of the waves and tossed it around aimlessly. Fortunately, we had a few days off in between fishing openings to rest. Some crew members would fly back to Seattle during those breaks. But for one guy, the weather proved a little too much. When he didn't return at time, as time, we were casting off the lines to head out to our next opening. My dad quickly glanced at me, nodded his head, and said two words, You're on. In that brief instant, I went from being a partial Observer to a full crew member. In our passage this week, Peter gets a similar nod from Jesus. But not just Peter who gets this call. It's all of us. As we listen to this text, as we dive into this story this week, my prayer is that all of us individually, but maybe more important, collectively, as the church, hear the words of Jesus saying, you're on. Let's pray as we start. In some ways, it's just another Sunday. Lord, we've gotten up and Got enough coffee down to get us out of the door. Dressed and arrived like we've done so many Sundays before. But we also know it is unique. This is your day, Jesus, to speak your words to us. This is the day, this is the time right now Where we lay down every other distraction or thought to worship and to listen and to obey what you say to us. Holy Spirit, grant us the grace to do just that now and as we leave from this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Our text this week is from Luke 5 and it starts like this. It says, now Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressed around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. Now at this time, uh, just a little bit of background, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. He's been baptized by John. He's gone out in the wilderness. He's starting to to preach and perform a few miracles. And up to this point, Peter has had some interactions with him. We know that Peter is aware of Jesus. He knows who he was. He had actually healed Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus has. So Peter's had him in his house at least one time before this. Probably sat with the crowds and listened to what he said. But up to this point, he's been a passive observer. He probably had some opinions about Jesus, where he was right where he may have been wrong he probably had some discussions about Jesus with that but up until this point he's just watched formed opinions yes but he's just watched but it goes on it says he got into one of the boats which was Simon's and ask him to put out a little way from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught from the boat. Now, why would he do that? Why would he get in the boat, push away from soar, shore, away from the crowd? Well, at this particular part, the geography are these all these little inlets formed by hills. And so it formed a natural amphitheater. If you could get in a boat and put yourself out just far enough away, you could actually be heard much more clearly than you could if you were standing on the shore. So that's why Jesus is in the boat at this point, is to amplify his voice to the crowds as he goes and it says when he had finished speaking he said to Simon put out your into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch Simon answered master we worked hard all night and caught nothing but at your word I will lower the nets now how would you say at your words I will lower your net tone is everything here right and we don't know if you say so so, could be very much that if you say so, or it could be at your word. Could have been like that, or it could have been maybe confused, like, well, at, at your word. I, we, we really don't know right now, but I think we're going to come to see how he said that as we get going. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled up both boats so that they were about to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Not too long ago, we heard about Isaiah's vision in the temple when he encountered the seraphim and he encountered the angels. And he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. We see that echoed here. In Simon's response to this but I wonder what how does this convict him of sin like like wouldn't your natural response be wow that's incredible get away from me you're too powerful or oh you're some kind of magician with fish you know (laughs) what is it about that encounter that convicts Simon of sin And what sin specifically? Well, I I think that goes back to inform us on how he answered that question. And how often I answer the question. Jesus tells us to do something. Okay, Jesus. As you wish. But in my heart, in my heart, what am I saying? I'm saying, well okay, this will be putting me out again, or I don't really, I don't understand, or I'm tired, I've been fishing all night, I've been doing the same thing the same way, but if you want me to do it one more time, isn't, isn't that the way we often respond? And I would guess here that as Simon sees these fish come in, he quickly realizes that his response though outwardly obedient, was inwardly lacking. For Peter and all who were with him, the text goes on to say, were astonished at the catch of fish that had taken in. So were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. It's okay, Simon. Your sins are forgiven. Or, yeah, uh uh-huh, right, Simon? I told you. (laughs) Did you see that? Yeah, you're tired. I told you where to put the fish. You see all those fish? Yeah, that's where I told you to put the net. He doesn't say any of that. He says, from now on, you will be catching fish and church we cannot miss this even though he is saying it to Simon he is saying it to us Peter here as an individual yes but is also a representative of the church as we will see as we follow this story in scripture and James Covington made an interesting note here that this this way of fishing it's a bit of a pun it it, it's it's not line fishing we're so used to casting our flies out individually we're so used to you know throwing our bait and catching them one by one and yanking them out of the water this is net fishing this is large fishing this is pulling fish out alive there's no hook in their mouth they're being pulled out alive this is not for the one this is for the multitude that this fishing is done and as we're called to do this we are it's kind of a reverse fishing Instead of the fish being alive in the water and then pulled out to be consumed, no, they're dead in the water, and they're pulled out into life. That is the kind of fishing the church is called to do. So when they had brought their boats to the shore, this is their response. They left everything and followed him. Now last week, James did an incredible job describing how easy it is for us to hear what we want to hear Jesus say instead of hearing what he is actually saying. And if you miss the message, please catch up on the podcast. It, it's incredible. This week, though, we see another prime example of how we might miss what Jesus is actually saying by making it say what we think it says. Um, anybody who's been close to me knows that I have a, serious addiction to buying books, Uh, one of the main slots on my library shelf is filled with this commentary series. And I confess I don't use it as often as I thought I would because it's so foreign. This is a commentary um, series that compiles the wisdom of the ancient church fathers so people who were writing about Jesus in the centuries immediately following Jesus' life and ministries, some of the words that are in this book are from within 100 years of Jesus, and they saw Scripture very differently. You know, it's humbling to read this. It's humbling to read these because I'll open the page and I'll read something that never would have crossed my mind. The way that they saw that the ancient church fathers though are very clear that the way that they see this passage they understand this as this is the beginning of the church and listen i've sat up here and preached that the beginning of the church was in antioch and i was challenged this week in that that this is the beginning of the church and they look at it in a very metaphorical sense. They talk about the two boats, one being the Jews, one being the Gentiles, and how the night was, you know, they were fishing at night and catching nothing. Well, that was under the old covenant. That was under the law. And the, and the reason why the catch comes in the day is because that's the new covenant is there. And now it's going to be many people coming into it. And how the boat is the church, and the church is to go out into the deep and stormy waters and bring people in, saving them out of that. And I have to confess that as I read that, something within me assented, said, Yes, 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 this is it. Because I'm, I tend to read it as a hero story. I tend to read it as an individual thing. You know what the first thing that came to my mind as I read this passage? Well, does this mean I have to leave everything too? Anybody else? Anybody else read this? And the first thing you think is, oh, wait, he said, leave everything and follow me. Does that mean I have to quit my job? I mean, how individual is that? How how twisted is that, that we immediately put me, myself, and I at the center of that story and then filter the whole thing through, "Well, what does this mean for me and my stuff with that? There's so much more going on here. And if we miss this, if we miss this, we miss so much. (sighs) Our text ends with a very specific call to a very specific group of individual. But it's speaking to us, Grace Church it is speaking to us we talk a lot in this church about the two ways of learning we talk about our current mode and listen we all organize our lives this way i i do it okay i'm not i'm not judging anybody else in here without pointing the finger at myself first but as a result of our culture as a result of our the way that we've been taught as a a result of just even our our natural inclinations, the way that we hear information is like this. It's hear it, then understand it, and then obey, maybe. So we hear it first, and then we seek understanding. We seek to figure it out. I need more information. I need explanation. I need understanding. I'm going to run it through and register it, and then if I agree with it, I'll obey. If the cost isn't too high, I'll obey. If it isn't too inconvenient, I'll obey. If I have enough information, I'll obey. That's the way we live our lives. That's the way we make our decisions. That is not the way it was intended to be done. Indeed, the Hebrew, the biblical narrative, and the narrative that we have the way that we are instructed to as believers is this. Here, first... Obey and then understand. Maybe. Right? And listen, everything inside of me says, oh, hell no to that model right there. Not just no. <laughs> everything inside of me resists that because I want to be in control. Everything inside of me resists that because I want to be the one calling the shots. I want to be the one in control. Look at this story. Look at the encounter. Jesus is inviting Simon into his work. He's not explaining it. He says, this is the call. Come and follow me. Will Simon come to understand that? I believe he will, not totally. Some, we see the, we see the sermon in Acts when he preaches and 3,000 are added into their number that day. Simon cast his net, the church casts their net. They this This prophecy, this command, this invitation, whatever it is, it's fulfilled in the church. The church becomes the great fisher of people. The church becomes the great... The great group, the great institution that brings the people out of the waters of death into salvation with that. But when that happens, it is because we hear and then we obey and then we understand. Maybe. You know, for centuries, um, like I said, Christians understood this to be a metaphor for the church. Even so much so that classical church architecture models it. Many churches, when you walk in, if you look up at the ceiling, what you'll notice is that it is reminiscent of a boat. That the church ceiling looks like a boat. And that's great. I mean, I think it's, it's, I love the way architecture works with the story. The only problem I have with it is it's wrong side up. <laughs> Alex and I make a annual fishing trip out on the Kings River. And I don't know if this is last time or the one before that, but we were trying to figure this out. The way that, see, our tendency is to take that boat and flip it upside down and crawl under it I think that's what we've kind of done here and let me tell you those upside down boats on the riverbank might keep the rain off they're not any good for fishing they're not doing us any good pulled up on the boat on the bank turned over the church has always understood its role to be a place of refuge, the people in a boat, fishers of people proclaiming and practicing salvation from the deeps of sin, ignorance, rebellion, and suffering. But the image is all wrong when it's turned upside down. Instead of using the church, casting off into the midst of a world, we have pulled it up on shore, turned it over, and hidden under it. From under there, we grow cold, complacent, judgmental. From there, we proclaim, I'm tired. I'm not good at this. Give me a little more explanation. Uh, Make it easier for me. Make it more attractive. We throw our hands up and exclaim, this is pointless. I'm not qualified. And we give up. Church, we need to hear the words of Jesus afresh this morning as he looks us in the eye and says, follow me. It's time to repent and get in the boat and cast off. We need to wake up to what Jesus is doing, to our collaborative calling as the church. This is what the church does. It answers the call of Jesus above every other call. It repents of the sins of I don't understand. I'm tired. I'm not good at this. It's pointless. It's not attractive enough. I don't understand. I'm not qualified. I'm giving up. It repents of those sins. And it disavows every other allegiance. It proclaims the gospel of the kingdom first, foremost, and forever. Make no mistake, it is Jesus first, Jesus now, and Jesus always. Now, you may hear these words and be moved. You may in your head be saying, yeah, that makes sense. I can do that or some specific thing that you've been doing you need to quit some specific thing you've been asked to do you say I'm going to go do that that's good that's great put feet to it put feet to it that's the worship team to come up and lead us in worship and I want to ask you the first steps to put are coming to the table, are being remembered at this table. That we would come collectively as Jesus' church in response to his call to leave everything and follow him. That we would embrace that. And then as we take the bread, the wine, we take that in, we take the elements then we go with that renewed purpose. We go with that invigorated response that comes from repentance and obedience that leads to understanding, maybe. But nonetheless, we go. I'm going to invite you to come up to do that. I'm going to invite you to take this time to reflect, to pray. We're going to take an offering as well. And this week, put feet to it. We live in a world right now that needs the church, that needs the church to be the church. Can we do that?